Revelation, the 11th chapter, as we take a look at the message entitled, Be Prepared. Jesus Christ is coming. He really is, and he's coming soon. And there's no joke about the fact that whatever we're going to do now, we need to do it now. And not only that, until Jesus comes, we need to live in the straight and narrow. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. But narrow is the way that leads to eternal life through Christ Jesus. Our text deals in these next few moments with God's attempt to bring truth to lost humanity. Think about all the opportunities in which God is endeavoring to cause people to say, this is the way, walk ye in it. We have churches almost on every corner here, radio stations, television programs, uh, individuals. We have print, we have Bibles, we have all that we need, and yet the great majority of our country, America, don't forget Wednesday night, is still lost abstract away from God. May have a religious experience, may have a church experience, but not a relationship with Jesus Christ. I talked to someone the other day and they in fact said where well, they're burnt out on church. They didn't attend church here, but they're burnt out on church. Well, every one of you, if you wanted to have that state of mind, you could get burnt out on church. It's like, but you also get burnt out on television. Have you noticed that? So I, I want you to know the only reason you get burnt out on church is because you don't have a close connection with the bride of Christ who is the head of the church. When you're in love with him, church does not get boring. We're at the point of no return and where we're at in this scripture in these few moments. The tribulation, where we are in your mind's eye, we're in the midst of what we call the tribulation. First three and a half times of peace. Israel has made a covenant virtually with the Antichrist spirit. They don't understand it. They are blind. And that's the first three and a half. We get the last three and a half. There are seven years. Jeremiah says, let me prophesy a little bit. I want you to know because what's going to happen in the future is a whole lot closer to us right now than it was Jeremiah in this prophecy. Jeremiah 30 verse 7. How awful that day will be. None will be like it. It will be a time of trouble for Jacob. First half of the tribulation has experienced peace. Israel's made that covenant. As I mentioned, the rapture has taken place and full grace and opportunity. Now, when the rapture, the church is gone, at least those that are believers, full grace and opportunity to receive grace have been replaced by a false sense of security. I mean, no one here that's a believer is going to be here when the rapture takes place. Who's going to take care of the place? Who's going, to, who's going to be able to deliver a message? A person that didn't believe in Jesus Christ is going to come and say, oh, now that the rapture is taking place, I'm, I'm a true follower. Well, guess what will happen to you? If you declare you're a true follower of Jesus Christ after the rapture, you're going to have to really man up. Because you're either going to take the mark of the beast or you're going to deny knowing Jesus Christ. So there won't be any gray area in that day. Peace and safety have been declared at this time in our text. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, 3, while people are saying, 
peace and safety. Destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman. And notice this, and they will not escape. You want to know why? We want to reach children with Circle J. They're not going to have a way of escape if we don't reach them. Do you want to know why we want to reach them? It's because often they go back into homes where there is no love and there is no Jesus. And all it is is hate and bitterness. And that precious little child is baptized with the precious truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and goes back into that environment. The scripture declares that anyone, when anyone gets to the place that they lose their ability, try this on for size now, those of you watching online, when you get to the ability that you no longer fear God, look out. You might ask yourself the question, in your opinion, do you think we as a nation fear God? Do you think we as a nation fear biblical truths? Do you think we as a nation get it now? Almost to the place anymore that too many of the citizens in our nation don't even fear the repercussions from law enforcement. When you get to the place that you no longer fear God, you're in trouble. You'll be entering the place that I call the point of no return Here's what I know. The law of nature does not fail. What goes up must come down. Law of nature. And the law of God will not fail. Paul writes in our text tonight, Galatians 6, 7, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. That's the law of God. As you sit here tonight and you listen by whatever means of communication, remember that. God is not going to be mocked. Whatever a man sows, whatever a nation sows, whatever a family sows, whatever an individual sows, it says he's going to reap. There's a point when man's actions or the lack thereof will reap that sowing, that sowing that only comes from Almighty God. So now I want to talk to you about God's mercy being unlimited. That's now. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, because of the Lord's great what? Come on, help me out, church. Because of the Lord's great what? Love. We are not consumed. For his compassions, what? Never failed. You are recipient of the love of of a merciful, forgiving, gracious, caring God. I mean, think with me for a moment. If God had a hair trigger on you, that every time you blew it, judgment hit you, how long would you last? Amen? But his blood covers a multitude of sin. We are living in a stage of grace. And God says to us, I know you failed when you cried for forgiveness. Get up and move on until the next time. And then he says, his compassion never fails. Without God's compassion, we are a sinking ship. If you want to have a better marriage and a better relationship with anyone, let me encourage you, have great love for them and also have great compassion for them. If you do, that will bring a whole lot of healing into the relationship. And the Word of God declares, today is the day of salvation. And we understand that that is a warning that one day God's mercy 
God's mercy, God's patience, God's grace will be withdrawn in a great degree and salvation as we know it now will not be available. Just one more soul for Jesus. Just one more missionary to reach a lost person in some foreign field. That's why we we share missions. Just one more sidewalk Sunday school that they bow their heart and Teresa and her team give the altar call. Just one more. That's the gracious compassion of God. Psalms 108 verse 4 says, For great is your love, higher than the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. The faithfulness of God. Now think with me for a moment. Proverbs 3, 3. Let the love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. Take hold of that. God, I I thank you for your grace. Remember what that means to you. Remember if you have a wayward son or daughter or family member, the only reason they are still alive is because of God's gracious compassion and God's mercy. Don't think for me for one moment that God is not aware of how far they will run. Don't think with me for one moment that they have one more day to get it right. Assume they don't. Don't think with me one more time that you can blemish the robe which is white and spotless and fail to live a holy life, that it does not come to the attention of Almighty God. God's compassion fails not. So John in our text tonight, in these few moments, describes that the tribulation, we're in the middle of it, is taking place. And the church is now gone. God still shares a desire. The purpose of the text desires to reach people. He has reached 144,000, which is a part of 12,000 of each of the uh, uh, 12 tribes there, the nation of Israel. And then two witnesses appear on the scene. Some judgments have begun to fall. We know that at this point in time, there is a false peace that has taken place. We know that, listen, friend, the opinion of the world, have you noticed that? The opinion of the world can spin one week and spin the the community of our world in opinion just almost overnight. When all the networks and when all the spinning of major news networks, because of the fact that when people are not grounded in the Word of God, they are easily led astray and it's easy for them to believe a lie. And so here we have it. They have itching ears. So we're in that mid-period in which that has taken place. And Revelation 11.3 is one of our key texts. And I will give power to my two witnesses. And they will prophesy for 1,260 days or three and a half years clothed in sackcloth. These are two unusual individuals. He shares that they will preach for some three and a half years says that they preach at the temple, but their influence is much larger than that because we understand, if you study carefully in the many books that I've read, nothing happens in private anymore. If you think you're getting away with something, there's always somebody there with an iPhone, my friend, that will take your picture or a video, amen? There is no place safe anymore. 
No matter what you do, take a picture of your tag, take a picture of you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Videos everywhere. So it is not beyond a person's ability to believe that anything is going to happen as it relates to these two witnesses, but what is not going to be noised abroad and seen by everyone. But what's their goal? Uh, they're dressed in sackcloth, which means, hey, judgment is on the way. They preach the truth every day. They are rebuked and they are reviled and they are ridiculed. Why? Because now we know church is gone and God is still trying to knock on the door of society, particularly in Jerusalem and many in the Jews and say, hey, wake up, wake up. They're preaching the truth of God's Word. They are saying that the only way that God, the only way to survive is through Jesus Christ. Now, how do, they, how do they live against the oppression or the pressure of an antichrist spirit or an antichrist government or an antichrist society? Remember, grace and mercy as we know it today is gone. Almost an Old Testament theory comes back in, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, etc., that's, there is no grace that you can feel. There's no, I feel the Holy Spirit. The only spirit you're going to feel in that day happens to be a spirit that is unkind to you. And not only this, when you rise up and you say, hey, I am, I made my mind up, I'm a follower, you're going to have the chance to prove it. Because either you deny Christ or you take the mark of the beast. Now, the two witnesses have the ability out of their mouth to just spark a fire. I mean, just people come to harm them, and out of their mouth not only comes the word of truth, but literally fire. And that's the mechanism with which they are protected from the arm of men. They are sent from God. Revelation 5, 7, if anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. What are they doing? Sharing grace. Church is gone. Grace, gone. Mercy, gone. The only thing that stands is the truth. You have the temple in Jerusalem. What's happened? The temple in Jerusalem, of course, is excited because guess who likes to be in there? Worship is taking place, but it's not worship to Jehovah God. It says the Gentiles have overtaken the outer courts. The Jews, of course, are on the inner court, but they are blind as a bat as it relates to spiritual issues. And the two witnesses often come, as you study carefully, outside of the outer courts and deal with their message. And friend, they are not nice. They tell they are prophetic they're like Jeremiah. They're like Isaiah. They are the weeping prophet. Jeremiah, of course, is trying to get, trying to get the knowledge of who God is. In Revelation eleven seven. now when they have finished three and a half years, when they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. God is always up to something. Notice this. The beast, the enemy of our soul, could not come out of the pit and overtake them until their work is done. God does not operate by the hour. God operates by the second or less. Everything is precisely on time. When that beast comes, those two witnesses 
are slain. They serve as a testimony to the world when they are slain to the world that what they were saying, the gospel has no power. And that's a lie that the enemy would like for our country and our world and our culture to believe. The church is non-relevant. They like for us to believe that it doesn't matter that you go to church. They like for us to believe the Word of God is just old-fashioned and traditional and has no power. The culture out there would like for us to believe there's no such thing as a true Christian. They'd like for us to believe you can pray all you want to and you can get to choose a plethora of gods if you want to. There is no one God. I heard someone say the other day, all roads lead to God. All roads lead to God. No matter what God you pray to, it all goes to God. Well, then who's going to be the God? You understand that's what happens. And here's what it says in Revelation 11, 8. Their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. And here's what happens. Because they have been exposed they have been preaching truth. They have received angst. They have been ridiculed. They have been talked about, just like the symbolism of the gospel today, the symbolism of being a true Christian, the symbolism of saying Jesus Christ is Lord, all of that. Well, what relevance does it have? And that's what they experience, that parallel that's there. The beast comes and they're dead. Three and a half days, they just are in the streets. And you can see the major news networks. I believe this with all of my heart because they were, why do I believe that? Because they were sent by God. And they're dead. Jesus was in the tomb, dead, for three days. But in the midst of that tribulation period, it says Revelation eleven nine. 9, this is what the culture did. This is what the crazed belief system of men did. For three and a half days, men from, get this, every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. It says the inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. They were unashamed. They weren't a last-ditch effort. They were just one more chapter in the story of God's compassion. So that no one could justifiably say, well, there was no church. Or there was no believer next door anymore. These two witnesses stood before government, stood before all that life has to offer in social media, declaring the news of Jesus Christ. Believing that when they died, the word of tribes and nations and languages celebrated their Death. The enemy believes, well, I could not keep him 
in the tomb. So I get another chance to destroy the two witnesses sent by God. And the world saw it. It's the example of the ten virgins. Five were foolish, five were wise. The foolish, of course, you know, carried away in the activities of the day. But the five wise, they knew what time it was. They knew what their focus was. They knew what their purpose was. May the church not get carried away chasing the things that seem to exalt God. Exalting God is love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, the church was never about you, my friend. The church is about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and I submit myself to the bride of Christ and say, God, speak to my heart, preach to me. Mankind must ask for mercy. So family members and individuals that we may not be reaching and programs that we have all for one purpose, to know Christ and make him known. Now the fear of the Lord, Joshua 24, and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your forefathers. Worship before the river and in, in, in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose yourself this day whom you're going to serve, whether the gods of your forefathers serve before the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The two witnesses were slaughtered in the street. Their witness and their message was the same as Joshua's. Choose whom you're going to serve. If it's the God of the Antichrist, serve him. If not, hear this message. 1 Kings 18, 21, Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But notice this, but the people said nothing. You see, many people see the grace of God and many people hear the warning and many people have felt conviction and many people know that we should evangelize and many people know that we should share compassion and many people know that we ought to endeavor to live a holy life. Many hear that small voice of the Holy Spirit that talks us and tells us to do a lot of things, that we should love our neighbor, give to our neighbor, reach deep in our pocket and offer all. Many times witness to that person that is lost. We often hear the Holy Spirit it speak but we don't listen because we choose to run the clock and unfortunately what happens we cross that line of no return we don't hear God speak much anymore because we have become enamored with the life in which we live and Elijah said the people heard what I said and the people answered not a word. Not a word. I have a word. Jesus Christ is coming soon. Amen. He's coming soon. Whatever we do, we need to do it now. As we move forward, the power to choose is one of the greatest powers that we all have. Never be afraid to talk to family or friends. Your choice will determine what you reap. In fact, it will determine eternity for you. 
family members that you know, don't listen, friend. Don't play games with them. Don't patronize them. Don't pamper them. Don't do it. Don't get hateful. But listen, always keep your message in love. Keep your message solid and realize they don't have a promise of tomorrow. They don't. Don't assume they do. That's a lie from the pit of hell. So I don't want to, I don't want to, I want a relationship with them. Love will overrule everything else if whatever you do, you do it in the love of Jesus Christ. Not judgmentally, not harshly, but in the love of Jesus. You see, many exalt self-pleasure in darkness and they choose a momentary thrill. Revelation eleven eleven. Do you think for one moment if you're in a position where you get to be a leader, a position of authority, that those people underneath you are just there for a job and you're the believer, you have a responsibility under God to take advantage of that opportunity? Well, brother, where I work, I mean, if you even speak the name of Jesus, you're going to get crucified. Develop a plan. Develop a relationship. Here's what Revelation 11, 11. But after three and a half days, they're in the streets, CNN, BNC, all those others. Cameras on them. The end of three and a half days, here's what it says. The breath of life, it reiterates the resurrection that took place. The breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet. And terror struck those who saw them. You see, the enemy thinks he's got the last word. The enemy thinks he can push the church back. The enemy might think that we are not relevant. The enemy might convince the culture out there that we are dead and has-beens and used-to-bees. But the minute the anointing of the Holy Spirit comes in and floods over your spirit and your heart and brings life to your life, everybody you know will take notice and know that they have been with something out of the order ordinary that is extraordinary by the power of Jesus Christ and that the blood of God still has power and they were exceedingly terrified by what they saw wow we blew it because they knew that this is the last time that someone came up from the dead a resurrection took place, and it was the Lamb of God and his church. Hallelujah, the rapture that was taken out. Amen. Revelation eleven twelve, and they heard a loud voice from heaven when those witnesses stood up, come up here, and they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. They knew that they could have chosen to listen to those witnesses. But now they realize they're past the point of no return. Revelation eleven thirteen 13 b said, and the survivors were terrified. The survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Genesis 6, 3, way back from the beginning, God's trying to get our attention. My spirit will not contend with man forever. For he is mortal. 
From the beginning, God has said, grace, 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 wonderful grace, but my spirit is not going to continue to put up with all the denial. Finally, mercy or not, here's what we know. Consequence will follow. Revelation eleven thirteen. At that very hour that took place when the witnesses are gone, call them in. There was a severe earthquake, and a tenth of the city, that's Jerusalem, collapsed. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake. How did he know that? Because he created everybody. And the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. The third woe is coming immediately. When God's grace is gone, judgment fail. Judgment fail. Hebrews 10, 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. And that's where we are in this text. The judgment of God begins to fall. So you let little unforgiveness control your heart. You let jealousy, you let gossip you let bitterness, you let anxiety have a roosting place in your heart, let me encourage you, this is serious business. Put it on the altar and leave it there. Well, I do leave it there, but it wants to jump back on me. Then tell it to go back right where it came from. Revelation 16 reveals the judgment that prepares for the second coming of the Lord. There is follows in Revelation 16, the Vowler Bowl. It says infection, ulcers, and no medical treatment in verse 2 is available. That people have huge ulcers. All the sea turns totally to blood and all the sea life die. All the rivers and the water turns to blood. Why? Revelation 16, 6 says, For they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets. And you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. Not one person that ever dies at the hand of the testimony of the love of Jesus Christ, if their blood is shed, whatever missionary, whatever in Iran, whatever in Syria, whatever is taking place, when blood is shed, here's what he says, one day those who were the perpetrators and did it will drink blood because that's what they like. And now it's the only drink available. It's the judgment. The sun heats up and begins to scorch men with fire. That's not hard for me to believe at 96 degrees today. But even the moon lights up, it says in Isaiah 30, verse number 26. It'll shine like the sun, and the sunlight will be seven times brighter. And we move forward. What did John say to the people? He says they were, Revelation 69, they were seared by the intense heat. And notice what they did. When grace is gone, mercy is gone, and hope. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God 
who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. Is that so far-fetched? No. What did Peter do when he realized he had denied knowing Jesus? What did he do? He cursed. The foul language and the curse that came after realizing he denied it. The outsource of the bubbling, powerful presence of the enemy in an unrepentant heart has to have a release, and that release comes in the form of denying and cursing Almighty God. The great river Euphrates dries up preparing for the battle of Armageddon. In verse number 12, and the battle is set. So all the nations around that wants to pick a battle with Israel and pick a battle with God, here's how it happens. Finally, we get to Revelation 16, and God says the battle is already determined. And I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs that came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. He was the religious leader, by the way. They are spirits of demons performing miraculous signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. And behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. In other words, God says, I determine when the battle will take place. And so the enemy the evil spirits go out believing that they have the attempt to come against Israel, to come against God, and they gather them and they march in by the millions. And all, all God needs, he doesn't need an army. All he has to do if that is speak the word. And the blood is shed. In Revelation 16, 17, the seventh angel, he's a key one, poured out his bowl into the air and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it is done. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, pearls of thunder, severe earthquakes, no earthquake like it's ever occurred since man has been on earth. So tremendous earthquakes hit, turned the world upside down, balls of hail, a hundred pounds or more falls. And in the battle, Revelation 20, he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, bound him for a thousand years. That's called the millennial reign. And we rule, and we reign, and there is peace. But still human nature has a will to do its own deeds. And in that thousand-year millennial reign, those that survived 
When is your easiest time to worship God? When you're in trouble? When you just got to have him? When the light bill, electric bill's not paid? When you got a wayward kid? Say, God, oh God, oh God, oh God. Oh Jesus, 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 I need you. But what if none of that was around? Would you still be encouraged to be passionately in love with Jesus and worship him during a time of the millennial reign. And even then there will be those who still won't get the message. One more time. Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is old, and the only way they're going to know it is if you teach them now. And by that time, your children that are 10 years of age, 20 nows will be 30. You will have grandchildren that will need to have been impacted by your children. So the spiritual barometer of saying, listen, the priorities of who Jesus is in our family must be great and the priority of your heart. Amen? Time's up. Let's stand up, okay? Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you. Tonight, it's been straight out. Get your life right with Jesus. It's been straight out. Love the Lord with all of your heart. It's been straight out. Do the will of the Father. It's straight out. The priorities are there. God set the priorities right. And for that person or persons in this room right now that's not right, or that one looking right now online to us that's not totally right with Jesus, let the conviction of the Holy Spirit know that this is the time of grace. And if that Holy Spirit is beckoning and speaking to our hearts and our minds, then we need to pay attention to that. There may come a time when that voice is silent and we'll not be able to hear it. There may come a time that we get so far away that our, our lives are you. And let me be a light in the midst of darkness and declare your name, declare your name above, every other name. above every other name. I ask these things, ask these things. in the name of Jesus, name Christ, of Jesus Christ, the Son, Son of, the living God. of the living God. Amen. Here's what I want to do. We're going to sing the song they're playing. If you feel like you need to come into this altar, don't forget Wednesday night, we're going to pray. But if you feel like you need to come, you feel like as a family you need to come and say, God, let us be more acutely aware of the great responsibility to honor you. Don't get caught away in all the things that, that life can encumber you with and snare you with that draws the energy of your mind away and creates all kind of anxiety. Get your eyes on Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things that you wrestle with, God somehow or another will just put it to rest. And let's just take a few minutes to worship as you come and respond to whatever God's telling you to do. Here we go, everybody together.